from phx.fm. This is Conversation with the Rabbi, featuring open, honest dialogue and sometimes unconventional perspectives on the world we all share. Welcome back to another Conversation with the Rabbi. Our host of this show is Rabbi Michael Bayo, CEO of the East Valley Jewish Community Center. We're joined for the conversation today by Dr. Gary Smith. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here along with you. Well, we're glad to have you. Why don't you start by giving us a little introduction, you know, the way you would if you were at a, at a dinner party or an afternoon barbecue or meeting a group of strangers. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. You bet. You know, yeah, Dr. Gary Smith, I am so grateful, first and foremost, to spend this time with my dear friend, Rabbi Bayo. Uh, he and I have had a longstanding relationship, and we are so grateful to have this period to spend together. Yeah, I'm married. I have uh, six children. We have 14 grandchildren. We are so grateful for each one of them. Family is very important to us. I have the privilege of being a physician. I care for patients. I run a healthcare system as well as hospitals and clinics. And uh, currently, I, I have the opportunity to serve as a mission president in the California San Jose Mission of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where I am privileged to work with 265 uh, young missionaries, and it is absolutely fabulous. President Smith, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. It's always an honor and a pleasure uh, to be able to do um, work with you. Every time you speak, it's like I, I just want you. I just want to record you speaking because your tone of voice is just so calming, and uh, I think I'm going to just record you and use that to uh, ease uh, falling asleep at night. No, <laughs> oh, you're kind. Very, very kind. President Smith, as you said, we have uh, we have had a, a long-standing relationship, and we've done a number of programs together. And this is not the first time that we're speaking privately or in public. Um, so thank you for joining this new platform. And we have decided that today we're going to talk about the interconnection between uh, uh, new medical technologies and faith. Um, and uh, I'm going to just jump right into it and and I want to know your opinion as a physician, as a as a person of faith, as a leader in in your church. What is your position on human cloning? You know, first and foremost, I appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion. You know, when I consider human suffering, first and foremost, Rabbi, I really take a look at two different value systems that I would consider. Of course, one of those is looking through uh, confidence and faith that a person would have in their clinician or their medical provider who would be giving them the care or making recommendations as to how it is that they would be provided medication or any kind of medical service. And so there's, there's that portion of a value system of which it is, I believe, a person has. The second then, of course, when we look at human suffering, is that religious faith, where it is that they turn to whatever that spiritual power may look like for them. Uh, in our religion, it would be God, where it is that we look towards uh, that, that source of, of hope and faith and how it is that we may be able to up, come through whatever that suffrage may look like. And so when you pose the question about human cloning, 
that brings up a very interesting conversation in that, you know, we believe that we are sons and daughters of a loving Heavenly Father. Uh, and prior to coming to this world, that we were spirit children with Him. And then we came to this world to receive this physical body by which it is that we would undertake various trials in our personal lives and make choices, decisions on how it is that we would overtake those or how it is that we would develop our faith and knowing how it is that we can um, really kind of get through this this uh, tumultuous times, even as what we're experiencing today. And so when we look at cloning, uh, genetically speaking, yes, I, I know that we can actually create another human being uh, from uh, cellular DNA and actually create a person. Uh, however, we truly believe that we are our sons and daughters of God. And so it comes back to that. that that's that'd be probably my beginning statement towards that. If I could, I have a, I have a question for both of you as the uh, as the secular anthropologist in the room. Uh, you both represent traditions that have a longstanding commitment to what the ancient Greeks would have called care of the self and of others. There are guidelines laid down in the text you that that guide your communities for how you should act, how you should eat, you know, what you should avoid, things of that nature. And of course, th those texts in the Jewish tradition are thousands of years old. In the tradition that you represent, Dr. Smith, they are 150-ish years old. My math is not good, forgive me. Uh, and, and yet they, they speak to contemporary concerns for people of faith, that you turn to them for guidance on, on these matters. Kind of broad general question is, how do you navigate the emergence of very new opportunities and very new technologies and, and kind of reconcile them with texts that don't address those, those specific concerns? Rabbi, let's, let's, let's hear from you on this because it's, it's certainly a vexing yes. question. Uh, and the Torah does not speak about cloning of any kind, let alone laboratories. Okay. So uh, the answer is yes and no, meaning uh, does the Hebrew Bible speak specifically about modern technology? Clearly, no. And at the same time, just in the, this past week Torah portion that was read all over the world, it's the Torah portion is a Toledot, which tells the story of how Jacob um, left his parents' house after receiving the blessing from his father, ran away because his uh, brother Esau um, got upset, maybe wanted to kill him. And so Jacob runs away, goes to uh, to family members, uh, uh, to his uncle, where eventually he gets married and he starts working for his uh, father-in-law, Right. He goes into the family business. Well, the family business, they were shepherds. And he goes into a very interesting uh, um, deal with his father-in-law. And they decide that every uh, sheep that would be born with certain markings would belong to Jacob. Um, and everybody and, and all the other sheep without those special markings would belong to his father-in-law. And so Jacob was very cunning and so he figured out 
uh, at, least, at least according to the text, that if he were to put certain branches of uh, trees uh, in front of uh, these animals when they mated, that he could engineer in a certain way the, those markings or not. So clearly, we're talking about it, it's, a, it's a religious text. So, but if we take it that that actually happened, then wasn't he doing genetic uh, uh, engineering? Again, it's a kind we could say it's a genetic engineering. It's a genetic modification in what in a, in a sense that there was a purpose in order to achieve a specific uh, result using not modern technologies. So this is if I were to say, oh yes, we can find everything in the Bible and everything that will ever be discovered is already in the Bible. But your question is a very good question. And I think that is the role of rabbis and, and teachers to not to, uh, to, to be honest. We have to be honest and say, yes, the Torah does not speak about quantum mechanics. The Torah doesn't speak about that. But because the Torah is not a book of science, so I am not looking at the at my religious text to give me guidance specifically on the technical level of science. I am looking at the Torah to give me guidance on the ethics and moral actions on how to apply science. But the Torah is not a history book. It's not a science book. It's, it's not even a philosophy book. It's a book of faith that tells the story of a, of a family that became a nation and what are the specific messages and laws that we can apply in our lives today from an ethical and moral perspective. President Smith, how does this sit within your tradition? Very, very similar in that we look at, at scripture or religious text as a basis of which it is that we we do believe that we all come from the same God and that we come here to the family earth of, with Adam and Eve and its beginnings and and that we are all family. We're all brothers and sisters here upon this earth and that we all are working towards uh, what it is that we're striving to accomplish and, and having joy and happiness as we continue to live here upon the earth. When we take a look at the link between uh, the scientific nature, of course, being a physician, a, a scientist of myself, uh, and knowing how it is that genetics do work. Goodness, I could, I could create a, a red rose and, and based upon genetics and have them eventually become white roses so that we can have different colors. Uh, the same thing happens when we take a look at hair color or eye color. And so genetics becomes a significant piece of that. And so when we look at technology today and how it is that we can have alterations of, of genetics to formulate, uh, even gender can be formulated at this point in time, and we can actually uh, create what it is that we so desire. Um, however, there is a bit at times when it is that we look at the, the scientific world and we look at the religious world and, and try to see how it is that uh, these how our faith base is to link ourselves together. It gives us an opportunity 
through my faith to really rely upon my morals and ethics and what becomes my independent culture, if you will. And that is, at times, does have a clash with what takes place scientifically. And so in my mind, being one of a physician as well as uh, a clergy leader, have opportunity to listen on both sides. And so those ethics become quite interesting at times, uh, based upon some religious beliefs versus what it is that we look at medical care that would be received. Uh, There are times ethic committees come together to try to determine what's going to be the best course of action. Of course, then you look at the legal side of things and legalities will dictate others of what the laws of the land may look like. However, we base most of our decisions upon those that are the laws of, of God and how it is our beliefs and feelings and, and a patient or a person's desires oftentimes will uh, take precedence over what it is that may be my, my feelings towards treatment or care or even religious beliefs may be. And so there can sometimes be that clash just within my own, my own profession. President Smith, allow me to uh, dig, dig deeper, a little bit deeper on, on the issue of cloning and, and medical technologies in our respective faiths. Um, if, if, if we have in front of us a situation where uh, we can clone a human being, one of the biggest concerns that uh, some ethicists have is that we are going to create, that there is the possibility that somebody will take this technology and create an army of uh, Adolf Hitlers. You know, that we're going to create and manipulate this technology to create maybe um, basketball players that are very, very tall, maybe with uh, uh, four arms so they can shoot the ball better. Or all kinds of uh, misuse, what, what I would call the misuse of technology. What, what what would be your answer to that? Would, do you agree with those fears or you don't agree with those fears? No, I do. I, I agree with this, this uh, avatar world of which it is that we're so speaking and that it is that the creation of or alteration of what it is could be the, the usual human being that we are accustomed to. And it does ethically for my myself and of my own personal values, it does not sit well with having that kind of uh, use of that sort of technology. If it is that it helps us to overcome human suffering, uh, that's a different story. That's a different topic than to make a genetic alteration to have a, a more a superior human being. Interesting, because uh, in my own view, and, and I wrote about this in a book that I published years ago, um, I, I really, that's not my fear. My fear is not in the technology. My fear is on, 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 on humans, meaning technology, I, I find that is a, a, like a blank canvas. And it's up to us to paint this canvas. Uh, look, for example, at the uh, at the tragedies that happen in in Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia just you know decades ago, or in Africa 
between various competing tribes, did he not use any advanced technology to butcher each other, to kill each other? They used the machete. They used the most barbaric forms of uh, uh, of killing uh, without needing supercomputers. But I, I think that technology has shown that the overwhelming number of humans, they want to and they can and we do, they do use technology to help the world. Mm-hmm. And we live in a society that, you know, it's we are surrounded by technology that we could only dream about a decade ago or or a hundred years ago. So I I personally have faith in human beings that if we were to be able to really clone a human being, that that we would do it for the proper reasons. Now, if for a couple. A proper reason is that they want their son to be a little bit taller. I, I don't think that that is what couples really, you know, think when they decide to have a child. They decide to have a child healthy, whether he's going to be a little bit taller or a little bit shorter. You know, uh, I, I don't want to believe that that is what motivates parents. Well, this raises a, a very interesting and, of course, long-standing. Um, philosophical and theological conundrum, which is when being guided in one's decisions, right? Ethics in the way we're talking about it here is, you know, choosing a right course of action. Um, There's, of course, also personal ethics, which is how should one live one's life. But here, I think we're talking more at the level of what's the right thing to do at, at a larger scale, right? What's the right thing for science? What's the right thing for society? Is the right thing guided by the action itself or by the implications, uh, the, the potential consequences of that action. And, and here's why I'm asking. President Smith a moment ago said, if it alleviates human suffering, it ought to be something we look at differently than if it's simply for a, uh, you didn't use these words, sir, but baser desire for something better or different or something, you know, things of that nature. You might have a more eloquent way to put that. Um, we currently are observing the rapid development of an mRNA-based vaccine for COVID-19, a global pandemic which has killed hundreds of thousands of people, over 250,000 in the United States alone, many, many more worldwide. Um, This is the result of the specific application of, of genetic technology to engineer a compound that would be effective at eliminating this pandemic. That's the goal, right? And at the same time, that same technology could be used for many other kinds of alterations to the way in which our genetic material reproduces itself. So are you more concerned about where the line is in terms of what we do? Or are you more focused on the consequences, the implications, and perhaps the intentions behind what we do? What are your thoughts on that? You're absolutely correct. When it is that we go back a little bit further, uh, when it is that we first identified HIV back in the 80s, and we began coming up with medical care in order to, to, to alter or change the DNA in order to help a person to overcome, or even at this point in time, uh, we're able to cure a person that may have had HIV that 
was such a devastation to the entire world. Immunizations oftentimes do the same thing. That's exactly what we're speaking about, is that we can uh, give you, whether it is a portion of a dead virus in order it is that it, it helps you or it is that it actually comes in to help alter the DNA of that virus, the RNA of that virus, so that it doesn't replicate as it has. We do the same thing with cancer. And so we're, we're migrating in an area where it is, I think, in, for the world is a very positive way. Of course, there are those that may have an ill intent and can then utilize that same technology for other reasons or purposes, as Rabbi Bayo had commented earlier, you know, towards even towards destruction or uh, injury that may happen to the human race or to whomever it may be or to whatever it may be, to any living being. And I do believe that is, as we use technology uh, for, the, for good, I am always very supportive of that. And there are technologies that we have not even identified yet. And so this whole coronavirus that we're dealing with today and the technology that's being developed here, uh, when you start to link that with artificial intelligence, and we start now using other technological advances that we have in computer technology and start to link these things together, I believe we'll end up having even greater means in which it is that we can care for one another. Thank you, President Smith. I personally think that technology is impartial. Um, and it's and it depends on the moral society that we, as parents, as husbands and wife and educators and per people of faith and scientists and people of all walks of life, what is the kind of society that we together build? But science itself, technology itself, it has no morality. Morality is something that we superimpose on science. You know, there is a lot of talk about, oh, um, are we going to engineer something negative or are we going to engineer a child? Let me ask you, when you met your wife, you did not go into blindly opened up the uh, you know the telephone book, looked through various pages, picked a name, and said, "I'm, I'm going to marry her." No, you did a sort of engineering. You looked for somebody that would be pleasing to your eyes. You looked for somebody that had similar backgrounds or dissimilar backgrounds, somebody that shared your views or somebody that did not share your views. But you did a genetic engineering of the most primordial kind. And so if I wanted to really have a chance of having very tall kids, I would have maybe looked for a wife that is seven feet tall. Uh, instead, that was not something important to me. So my wife is five feet tall. Uh, you know, but again, we all choose in life what we want based upon our morality and ethics and religion and science and whatever. But the technology in itself 
I find it it's it's manageable. Uh, and so hopefully we are able to create just and moral societies that will use all the new technologies to do more good than bad. I agree with what you're saying, Rabbi, is that it's not the technology that becomes, if you will, the evil. It is, it's the decision of the individual that is actually utilizing that. But that's been the case all along. We can look at that with uh, guns, for example. We can use that to to use for various purposes and reasons, uh, but we can also use it for harm. And when we're using it for good, it is it falls into my values uh, when we're using it for good. And I believe that there are are great uses that are going to come forward. I do believe that we are really on the cusp of greatness when it comes to technological advances, not just in the scientific world, but also electronics and how it is that we can communicate globally uh, right now via an internet that is unbelievable, that when I was much younger, I can recall computers were the size of this office that I meant to have then just one small screen and today we carry a computer in my pocket. And, and that is even, for many, would think is too large. And so it will become smaller and faster and much more powerful. And so I believe that we are really moving in a direction that's, that's positive for humankind. I do believe that there is great technology, both in science as well as electronics, that are going to just really bless the lives of people. Uh, We look at life expectancy. If you were uh, back in the 1800s, we would live until we were 45. And today we live well into our 90s. And so we can see just the medical advances that have taken place, uh, whether it's medical care, medicines, or surgical care, and having the opportunity to to continue to live life. And, And I think there's a lot of value in that. Thank you for your um, profound words uh, and, and, and teachings. And let me ask you, as a person of faith, as a teacher, as a leader uh, in your community, how do you teach the young generation to use technology in a proper way? How do we teach the the, the, the youngsters among us to to make moral and ethical decisions. How do we teach our generation that, again, in my opinion, it's not okay to deform your body uh, just because technology allows me to do that? You've touched on a couple of different topics there. The first is how do I teach one to make correct choices? And when we look at just technology alone, uh, I have to teach correct principles of value, of moral, of ethical concerns, and that I would teach a young man that he is to honor and respect women, girls, and children. That's a value that needs to be instilled in their hearts. And if it is, then use of technology will be uh, in a different way. And, and I'm just talking about, of course, one small component that's there. But we have to teach correct principles. Each of us have 
opportunity to make choice. That's free agency to make decisions on our own behalf. And there are consequences that come or blessings that come based upon the decision that's made. And so that is how it is. I look with respect to technology or really just behavior in general, continue to teach them correct principles and let them govern themselves. That has to be done or they're because of those consequences or blessings that come as a result of your choice. When we consider how it is that we uh, then move that a little bit more towards just ethical choices and decisions, uh, I know where my ethics stand. I know where my value system is. And my values are very firm on uh, God created a man and a woman and it's a man and a woman that will procreate and, and have children. It's not to say that I, I uh, look down upon anyone else who makes other choices or decisions. Uh, I love all of, all of our, our brothers and sisters that, that walk the earth, regardless of, of race, color, religion. I have great respect for every one of us and give proper care to each and every one of them. And so there's no, I make no separation uh, between, you know, what those decisions or choices may be. There are other consequences that come based upon their, their personal decisions. How do we reconcile or can we reconcile different ethical and moral positions when we try to live in the same society? If your ethics are in contradiction to mine, or mine are in contradiction to Adrian, how can we live together? Is there a formula that says, even though ethically and morally we see the world differently, we are able to live in the same society because, or or not? Yeah, it's communal respect, in my opinion. It's It's caring for community. It's caring for one another as as human beings and as children of god and we need to be as I, I i am as you are you know i do not look to defile the body in any way uh, and it there's many ways that that happens but it's something that we that i personally feel is is quite important to me and yet i can live next door to one who does and be a friend and to provide a meal to them or to invite them to my home to participate in a meal or to mow their yard or whatever it may be to help to serve whomever it is that we can. Uh, we need to love each and every one of one. We need to love one another. We need to respect one another for who we all may be. I do think that common communal respect is what's going to be of, of greatest value. Not the fact that I have to accept everything that you do or believe as being correct because I have my own value system and another person may have theirs. It's not as though I won't, I don't have to link that portion of it together, but I can respect them wholeheartedly. As a clinician, I will tell you, they all get treated equally. It, it is of no I don't even bring that into any consideration what a religion is or what their their 
decisions may be, I'll still care for them either way. Does it mean that uh, at some point do we have to question our own ethics in order to be able to allow somebody else's within our sphere in order to allow them and give them the full respect that they deserve? Because another person could have said, you know what? No, I am my ethics and whoever transgresses my ethics, um, I don't want to have anything to do with them. And there are people out there that do make those choices. And, uh, but your response was much deeper. And, and you said, no, I have my ethics and I may agree or disagree with somebody's choice, but I will always respect them, respect them as a human being. So my question is, at a certain level, do you need in order to be able to do what you do to be a little bit humble, maybe a little bit of humbleness and say, I have to leave a little bit of space within me to allow the other person to come in, in order to serve them, in order to be a friend to them, in order to not judge them. Yes, being non-judgmental and, and humility are two uh, very deep subjects to discuss. You know, obviously, humility is that uh, lack of pride. It's it's one in which it is that I will give, give of myself to others and not worry about my own personal uh, beings, what my personal needs may be. We arrive at a point in our lives where it is that really my life does not belong to me, but it belongs to other people. And so that's that that service, that servant, servitude, if you will, that is within each of us that, that may drive us in a direction. Now, I can't say that that all may feel that way, but I'm not here to judge their inner feelings uh, or even what their belief system may be. I don't judge that in, uh, in a positive or a negative way, except for just becoming more accepting of who they may be. Another question from from the outsider's point of view, you both represent uh, communities of faith and spiritual traditions that have been historically in the numerical minority. You have lived within larger societies that follow different principles and have both in different ways faced persecution in those societies. Do your views on tolerance, uh, are they are they shaped in some way by those experiences of, of your historical community? In other words, are you now in a position where you're wanting for others things you haven't been granted by society? And how does that kind of sit within the mix of, of what we're discussing here about dealing with difference? I'll take the first shot at this. Um, first of all, you use a, a term that I don't usually use and I don't usually like because you use the term tolerance. And I can tolerate a pimple on my backside. I tolerate it. But I don't want to tolerate another human being. I want to embrace. I want to accept. I want to learn from another human being. I don't want to be in a position that I am just tolerating that. Because if I just tolerate, it means that ideally it would not be there. And so uh, that's something that I learned over many, many years. I used to be a type of a person that barely tolerates 
barely tolerate somebody different than me. Uh, and over many, many years, I learned that there is so much more to learn from others, especially those who don't agree with me, than from those who do agree with me. So I'm always in the search for people that are different than me so that I can have these kinds of conversations and learn from them. So that's number one. It's the issue of toleration. For me, it's embracing, it's acceptance. Um, but to your specific question, I am sure that my the, the history of the Jewish people and and of persecution and being in the minority, etc., has influenced and does influence who I am on a daily basis. It's in my it's in my genes. It's in my DNA. Um, I just by the mere fact that I that I dress differently, everybody can see that I am a Jew. Anywhere I go in the world, it's easy to say, oh, look at him, he's the Jew, you know. Um, and sometimes, uh, uh, you know, you hear the little voices uh, of, oh, look at you know, look at the Jew. Or sometimes, you know, you hear that, you see the voices, you, 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 you see the, the looks that some people give you. And I have to say that even though in my personal life, I have had a lot of uh, encou- anti-Semitic encounters where people try to, you know, stab me or hurt me, or even as recently as a few months ago, as I was walking home with my kids on a Saturday morning, uh, a car approached us and threw bottles of glass at us. So I'm used to that. And at the same time, I have met so many wonderful amazing people of different faiths or of no faith that have been there for me um, on a personal level, on a professional level. And it is thanks to them that I have learned that I don't want to tolerate people, but that I want to embrace people. I appreciate the those thoughts and those are, very impactful to me as well. You and I have, we mirror one another with respect to that. I will share one other thought though, and I I do believe that when we do have a conflict or something that's different than who we are, I actually gain strength as it is that I I learn uh, from them as well as, I won't even call it endure, even though I'll use that word, uh, endure whatever it may be that it is that may be coming my direction. Otherwise, my personal uh, beliefs or faith or confidence in others would deteriorate. And so I truly believe that I need to to reach out to understand uh, the differences that happen and even thought process or behavior that may be happening and have that open mind so that I may learn not only from them, but it also, it teaches then me something different as well. And it's my hope that I would become a a better person overall and how it is that I could serve another individual that has a different set of values than what it is that I do or a belief system than what it is that, that I would share. 
Thank you. Um, I know that we have probably another just a minute or two left. I would like to take this opportunity to ask you, President Smith, now in your current volunteer position, you oversee many hundreds of young men and women uh, in their missionary work. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is absolutely a fantastic experience that we have been having, my wife and I, and we've been blessed to have our 15-year-old son that has joined along with us on this volunteer service of three years. And we are really looking forward to uh, working with additional young men and women. Uh, these young men and women, they come, they spend a time with us from 18 to 24 months to, to really serve the people here in the California San Jose Mission that is quite expansive. It's well over 10 million people. And as it is that they, they revolve, and some of them have come to us from many other countries, the Pacific Islands, uh, China, they come to us from Central and South America to come and serve the people and speaking 17 different languages. And so we have the privilege to lead this group of young people and to work with other ecclesiastical leaders here locally, as well as ecumenical councils and and, and political leaders, so many thought leaders is who it is that we spend a lot of time with, and to help just humanity to enjoy uh, peace, joy, and happiness uh, in their own personal lives. And so it's a it's a great opportunity. President Smith, thank you very very much. I promised uh, myself and my wife that we will come to visit you and Tara, uh, and so that we will continue our friendship and continue this conversation. Wonderful. Thank you very much for the invitation to be with you today. I, I truly enjoy the time that we always spend together. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to Conversation with the Rabbi on your favorite podcast app. You can also find the latest episodes online at conversationwiththerabbi.com. For all of us here at phx.fm, I'm Adrian McIntyre. Thanks for listening, and please join us for the next Conversation with the Rabbi.